0: It's Steve Balton, and welcome back to My Turning Point. This is the first show of 2022. We took a couple weeks off for the holidays, but really glad to be back and very excited to be back with a great interview with Joss Stone, who I've known for years. Really fascinating conversation on fame, motherhood, Aretha Franklin, Dave Stewart, the Bahamas, Nashville, you name it, we covered it. So hope you enjoy this one as much as we did. Oh, recording in progress. I'm sure you're used to it.
1: <laughs> Hi guys. How you doing? Yeah, really well.
0: I'm just sliding the screen
1: so I can see you.
0: Steve. You may not be able to see me with the glare in the back, and you're probably not gonna freaking remember me anyway, but we have but spoken I kind before.
1: Of... <laughs> well you never know. I have a fantastic memory. That's a load of shit. I can't remember anything. Probably won't.
0: <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I couldn't tell you what fucking year it was either, so don't feel bad. But we did a cover story for Venice Magazine here in LA. Oh
1: yeah? Yeah.
0: But I don't know when the hell it was, dude. It could have been last year, it could have been 50 years ago. I have no idea. Except for you're oh not as old God, as me.
1: How mad. <laughs> I'm sure we've changed drastically from that point.
0: Uh yeah, older, but yes. <laughs> were
1: just so older. That,
0: where are you Which these days? Boring. You are where are you?
1: I am in I'm about half an hour from Nashville. It's very, very lovely here. It's like it's like living kind of in farmland but kind of suburbia it's really cool my garden's like like a forest and all the leaves are on the forest all crunchy and very cool it's lovely here whoa so do you live there now I do yeah
0: all right well then we're gonna start with this because this is always fascinating to me I'm a big big believer in how environment affects writing oh
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: so do you feel like then you have now made a suburban country album (laughs)
1: No, do you know what? I haven't written, I've written here, but the album that we're about to release was written in the Bahamas at Dave's house. Dave, Dave Stewart decided, he also lives here in Nashville as well. So he's decided that he wanted to live in the Bahamas, which was lovely, lovely news for me, because I write with him all the time. (laughs) So he was like, hey, Charles, we were writing for a play um, called Time Traveler's Wife that's coming out, I think next year and um, we were just writing songs about time travel which was a bit of an odd experience um, and he said come down we will just don't worry about the pandemic it's okay you just take a sh-. no it wasn't even a shot he said um, you take a test and then you sign some whatevers and you'll be fine just come on down and, and we'll write so we did and then I told him about my idea for the album and then we wrote that and then we finished it when we were recording here in Nashville so we
0: did have a little bit of both. And yet interesting, what I've heard so far is neither Caribbean nor country. So you I know.
1: know. So actually your idea is dead in the water.
0: <laughs> I don't know if it is though. It's usually maybe it's more subconscious, but it's funny because, well, there are other things that go into it too. I mean, I've also spoken with artists about the fact that, you know, there can be certain foods that fuel a record. So was there a heavy amount of plantains, for example, on this record or jerk mm-hmm. chicken?
1: Maybe, do you know what? I um, was five months pregnant when I wrote it. So I was feeling, actually four months. So I was feeling quite sick at the time. So as far as food was concerned, it was like, what can I eat? I don't know. I'll try it. Okay, maybe I'll try this. It was a little bit like that. So I don't know. So there were a lot of
0: elements that went into making this record.
1: Yes, I suppose being... um, Pregnant makes one slightly more emotional. That could be partly why the songs are so deep. (laughs) You know, they're very, they are very dramatic. Um, It's more dramatic than any record I've ever made. So that could be why, actually.
0: But see, I like that and I like the emotion in it. So it's interesting. I had no idea you were pregnant, but I do love like the the sort of power in it. And it's interesting then for you, when you go back and listen to it, you know, being serious now for a second, are there elements of vulnerability that surprise you? Because as you say, it's a very emotional time.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, some of the songs are, they're like sadder than, than I would normally allow. So usually... I think if you were to like pick a song from my past, a lot of the sadness that I had was counteracted with a sort of like defiance or anger. Um, I definitely had that vibe with all of my lyrics. It was, you've hurt me, but guess what? I'm gonna be fucking fine. You know, that was part of the concept to pretty much every song that was kind of the end was don't worry about me, I'm all right. and I don't think that that's the case in these songs always. I think it's just, um, like you say, it's more vulnerable.
0: So, well, it's also interesting about that though. It's funny because you know you joked that we've probably both changed since we spoke, either five years ago or a hundred years ago. Also, part of that is just with age, you get more comfortable, and so it allows you. I'm sure that there is an element of being. You don't have to prove yourself as much, so you probably don't feel the need to show the toughness no, I think as much right. as you do when you're 19 or 20. So, do you yes. did you find that as well? Even before the pregnancy, that you were opening up more as a person.
1: Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I was actually, I think I just realized exactly what you just said yesterday when I was chatting with somebody. You know, when you do these interviews, you start to really think because you're asked questions that you never, your brain never goes there. I started to really think about like, God, what space was I in? I don't know. You know, like I didn't think about it at the time, but now I am. Um, And actually I do think getting older, you kind of get to a place once you've crafted the person that that you are, once you've gone through your ups and downs and you stood up for yourself a few times, you realize you don't have to um, fight. You don't have to stand up for yourself. I mean, you do, but not really. You kind of just go, no, I'm not that person, or no, I don't want to do that, or yeah, okay, okay, you know, you are you're, um, the master of your own destiny, really, and if ever you feel like you're not, you're kind of you're wrong, you are wrong, you know, so it's nice to have that confidence in your choice that is present for everyone, they're just not always aware of it, and I think I wasn't always aware of it as a youngster, I, was, I felt I had to fight for it, and actually, it's here every day. Every morning when I wake up, it's with me. So I can just feel the way I want to feel. Well,
0: what's also interesting about that is also, I think, as you get older, and especially, look, now you have a child, right? Yeah. I, I spoke about this with Natalie and Brulia not long ago, and we were talking about oh. her success in the 90s with Tor. And it's like, look, what you're willing to fight for becomes so different after you have a child. All the stuff that in the past you think is worth fighting for, you realize, like, that doesn't mean shit.
1: Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? That's so true. Yeah, now everything um, everything revolves around her. I always say in any decision, if anyone's starting to be like a certain way, I just say, "Violet wins. She always wins." <laughs> <laughs> I, used to, I used to say, "Mother Nature wins," but now, no, no, Violet wins always. So you know, all the decision-making processes are based around my little baby girl, and it makes it so much easier because you don't feel selfish. You know, so if you say, Do you know what, I don't wanna do that gig because it's a little bit far to drive or there's too many planes, there's too many um connector flights or you know, whatever. If you say something like that, you might get pushback, um, and then you might feel bad and actually, no, no, you should go play that gig and um that's a really good one or you know, you wanna play for the people or whatever. There's so many reasons surrounding it, but now it's no, no Violet wins, that's it. She needs to sleep. So no, I don't even need to think about it. Don't even tell me how much it is. I don't fucking care. I just want my baby to be happy. That's it. And it's a lovely thing. It's actually a bit of a freedom. It's not a tie. I will right,
0: well, see. that's interesting because I actually was just fortunate enough to get to talk to your tour mate, the amazing Corinne Bailey Ray. So, oh, yay.
1: Yes, yeah, no, she she's, has two kids.
0: What made this tour work, even though yes, you know, Violet's now involved?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, we'd agreed to tour before. Um, well the last two years had happened we, we had agreed before that so really it was nothing to do with babies it was just because I love Corinne Bailey Ray you know and why wouldn't I want to tour with her she's, she's such a lovely person um, and I love her music I love her voice she's so sweet it's like it's a no-brainer really um, but now I have my baby and she has her um, two babies it's even more fun because we're kind of both in the same boat And um, we can do it together. And I think I'm going to enjoy that.
0: (laughs) That would be cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Going out on the road takes on a whole different meaning. And she said one of the things she was looking forward to is it's for her when she tours, it's with family. So does this become like a big old extended play date?
1: It is. You know, my band for years, I mean, and the thing is this band that we've put together now, a lot of them are new. So um, it's like making a new family, which is quite interesting. Um, because everyone's all over the world and with all the restrictions and stuff, it's a bit crazy. So, um, so, But I, my drama has been with me since I was 15 and I always, and my backing singer too, also since I was 15. Um, so really, truly, truly, they are my family. Um, and sometimes you spend more time with your bandmates than you do with your actual family, which is quite interesting as well, because they really do become your brothers and your sisters, truly. And um, I remember when I was, I got pregnant, I called my drummer Ricky, and I I told him, and oh my God, he was screaming down the phone. He was so excited. It was like he was having a baby, you know. Because that's how it feels. You know, we've got our our family.
0: Well, it's interesting too, because you know, taking this to the stage for a second, you know, we're talking about breaking each other's hearts, and we talked about the emotion in it. Mm. And that is just such a vocal powerhouse. It's interesting. Have you thought about you know, bringing this is an interesting thing. Bringing that vulnerability to the stage on a nightly basis. Yeah,
1: I mean that's what I do. So I know it's kind of it sounds like a almost like a deep kind of scary thing to do because the the emotions are quite massive. But that's what I do, and I've been doing it since I was a little girl, and I know how now. Took a few years, but I know now how to. Um, walk into that feeling fully and then walk out of it. That's the most important thing is that you have to know how to cut. If you don't, you're a fucking emotional wreck and then it's bad. It can, it can get bad. If you live in that, especially because a lot of the songs are, you know, about something that is real for me, that, you know, they're stories from my past. So if you don't move on and if you don't forgive and, forget and all that that can be really really unhealthy um but I think these songs are they can be therapeutic and I have learned how to walk off the stage I've learned how to do that you have to
0: well I'm sure again that's what we talked about too as well having a kid it changes it too because it's like okay when you come off the stage you can't sit there and wallow in whatever the hell you were thinking about no
1: no 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 can't do that. That would be terrible. <laughs> but no, I always remember this, that one scene. Did you ever see the movie Love Actually? Yes, of course. So when um, the mother of the two kids, um, she realizes that her husband is cheating on her and she finds um, the gift that she thought was a necklace, but it was actually a jo- a Joni Mitchell CD. And she realizes that he bought the necklace for another woman. And... Um, the look on her face, it's like her world is crushed and she is, uh, she is in tears. And then her kids come in. She wipes the tears from her face. She stands up straight. She puts a smile on her face and she says, hello, kids, let's go, you know, let's get excited about whatever it is. I remember watching that thinking, that is what motherhood is about. You know, that is that strength. She is protecting her children. And she now comes second. Um, and that is the right way. I think, to do it. And I believe my mom did that for years and I hope that I'll be able to do that for Violet when when I need to, you know.
0: First of all, I love that scene and Emma Thompson is amazing, one of the great, but I also love that you brought that up because you mentioned Joni Mitchell and, you know, when you are writing a record like this, those songs that you think yeah. of that express that vulnerability and yeah. that you admire. And of course, the reason I segue mm-hmm. this in with Joni is you just look at a song like fucking River, for example.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, some of those songs from, I love that one line, um, I could drink a case of you and I'd still be on my feet. (gasps) What a lovely thing to say. It's just, I don't know, so many beautiful lyrics um, come out of that woman. And her tiny little voice is so, it's so like, so Jeff, I think it was Jeff that said this to me. um, He said, it's a perishable skill. You know, anything that is like a wind instrument is apparently a perishable skill. You know, so if you're a trumpet player, your lips age. Um, And if you're a singer, your body changes. So the sound of your voice changes. But that thing, that record that Joni Mitchell made, the the one later on in life, and I'm forgetting the name of it. You probably know what it is. I
0: don't. I mean, there's so many.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it was gorgeous and her voice was thicker and it wasn't the Joni Mitchell that we knew. Um, the time the thinner you know it was different and I felt like wow she has embraced what is inevitable and it is beautiful um, it's like my mum heard I think it was Judy Dench or someone said I had to say hello and make friends with my new old face you know you have to accept you for you and embrace you for you and do what makes you happy um, so yeah I don't know some women they are just inspiring, aren't
0: they? And um, Joni is one of those, you know. She is very brave. Yeah, I'm just looking this up. I'm curious. So the last studio record she made was Shine in 2007. Oh, wow. Before that was Travel Log in 2002. Both Sides Now in 2000. That
1: was it. Both Sides Now. I think
0: that's Okay. What it was. Yeah. It's interesting though, too. But it's funny because I think, I know what you're saying, but you know, talking about it with so many musicians over the years. Also, I think you also get better as a musician if your voice survives because you're wiser, you have more experience, you know, and like I've spoken about this certainly with like Carlos Santana and Neil Young, it's like as guitar players, Mm. you definitely get better. But you look at, I was going to say, you look at artists like even like Dylan, for example, and you look at a record like Time Out of Mind Mm -hmm. and the voice changes, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting. So for you, are there artists that you really admire for the way that they've been able to evolve and grow and that you sort of look at as like, okay, right, you start out when you're 19, you know, Mm -hmm. you're a big Janis Joplin fan, Melissa Etheridge, whatever, these singers that you've worked with who are all amazing and I love. But then you start to look at like someone like a Leonard Cohen or a Patti Smith or people for the way that they evolve as well. So I'm curious, are there those artists that have become role models for the way that they've been able to grow and continue to change?
1: I mean, I think... I think the move that Joni made was definitely inspiring. And I think um, I think learning more about how Aretha Franklin's journey was was very inspiring too, because um, I think I remember hearing a story that she had stepped in for Pavarotti at one point um, because she could. Um, and that comes with learning. You know, you can't do that at 12, 14. Um, also, Betty Wright was a massive inspiration as a woman, as a person, and of course, as a singer, you know, this is obvious. You know, that there's some voices that are just like, wow, it, it's, it's a given. You're amazing. But who are you as a person? And that to me is what's more inspiring, to be honest. Um, some people are extremely talented and can write great songs and sing wonderfully, but um, flawed as as their person. And that is not as, not as great. But... Betty Wright started when she was really young, like I did. She was like 14, you know, when she started making records. And she grew. She wrote every, pretty much every song that, that she sang. Um, she was a band leader like you wouldn't believe. And then she went on to teach young kids. And that was the bit that I loved the most about Betty. She just gave every single ounce of her being to help anyone else. Anyone else but her, <laughs> really. She actually suffered because of it. Um, it was almost like if if she was here today, she'd say, I was doing God's work. She's a very, very religious woman. And um, it wasn't about her. It was about everyone else. And I thought that is very inspiring. And she gave a lot. So yeah, as far as somebody that took their career and grew it. Yes, she did that. She didn't do it in a way that like, say Madonna did, in the the massive public eye, which is also inspiring because there's a lot of hard work that goes into that. She did it for others. She did it for kids, you know, and those people will remember her. And I think that's special.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I just interviewed not long ago, a few months ago now at this point, Buffy St. Marie, who was very, very, very similar. And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious then as you start to think about ways that you can give back, uh, Alice Cooper had the best quote on this. You know, he was talking about the fact that basically fame is the brand that allows you to do good later in life. That's true. So for you, Unfortunately, that- you know, and especially now being a mother as well, obviously it changes your, what's important to you on a global level.
1: Yeah. I wonder, you know what? That is true. He is right in, in a sense, um, that fame does help you help others, but, really, how much of that do you really need? So I kind of, I really didn't enjoy that part of my world, Um, really didn't enjoy that. So I had to make certain decisions to lessen it. So you have just enough, you have just enough um, exposure so people still come to your show. Because that's important. That's why we do it. We do want people to come to the show. Um, But you don't have to have so much exposure that you can't go to the store and get a pint of milk without people being weird with you. That's too much, actually. You know, you don't need that because then you're it's like that saying um, a sick nurse can't help anyone. If that's what you want to do, if you want to help people and, um, you know, you can help people with your music. Um, you can help people with money, you can help people with food, you can help people with education, you can help people with a hug. Yeah, um, there's lots of different ways that you can help other people. Um, and certainly as a singer, I could sit and teach another singer how to how to um, perform or how to move their vocals or just how to stay sane actually through it all. But um, I don't know if nurturing fame to such an extreme degree is actually positive. Like if you're, I mean, if you look at people like Michael Jackson, for instance, I don't think that was positive. I think the music was positive, but that would have been made anyway. I don't think that what he did or what happened to him as far as fame is concerned, I don't think that helped anyone. I think that that was really, 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 really sad. Um, so there, there is a limit and there's a line and there's a way to navigate those things. So you can still play, you still get people come to come to your show and you can still fund it and you can still help other people so um you don't have to sell your soul i think is what i'm trying to say so um i i did this world tour where i played every country in the world and when i did that there, there was three jobs to do one play the gig two i did a collaboration with an artist from that country in their language hopefully um just to kind of get into their music. And the fourth, or or the third job, was um, to visit a good person doing a good thing for others, which took us to many, many, many charities. And my goodness me, the world is full of beautiful people. I can tell you that now. And so I've been able, with my job, in my little job now, because it's not a massive one, um, it's not huge, but it's just enough that I can help that happen. So we set up a foundation so if people wanted to help. They could donate and we would send it to those tiny little charities all around the world to try and help them out. That's just one idea. There's lots of ideas.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I was actually just writing about this the other day. And it's, um, you know, I think when you look at people like Adele, for example, who I'm a big fan of, right? And she does an amazing job. Because I agree with you Hall. I think fame is the most dangerous thing in the world. It f- and as someone who's interviewed yeah. everyone from Neil Young and Barry Manilow to Mick Jagger and B.B. King and Aretha Franklin and Billie Eilish and everyone in between, Wow, dude, I've had so many wow. conversations with people about how fame fucks you up. But so then when you look at someone yeah. like Adele, who manages to put out the biggest album in the world, but still seem yeah. normal and have fun for you as an artist, that's, so smart. how does that inspire you? And are yeah. there artists that you admire for the way that they've been able to... Bowie's always a great example of, well, Bowie's a great example of everything, but you know, he managed to have a mm. successful marriage. He managed to keep his sickness private, even being maybe the greatest rock star who lived.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah So for you, are there true. people
0: that you admire for the way that they've been able to do that?
1: Yeah. I think Adele is a really good example because she's so current and people, people will know exactly what's going on there. She's so clever because she basically is like, Hey, I'm going to make a really awesome record. And then I'm going to just go away for a bit. That's beautiful. I don't know if she can go to the shop and buy a pint of milk without people being weird with her, though. But she certainly has many years off, you know, where she can just be normal. I don't know. I don't know what her life is like. But, um, you know, her records are great. That's, there's a reason why people wait for her albums, because there's really good music. Um, so. Her standard's always really high and she doesn't need to run around um, promoting herself, you know, as a celebrity in order to sell that record because it's just good. So, hey, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if there's um, a kind of formula for that. I have no idea, but I do hope that she can go to the shop and and get that pint of milk because that's a really lovely thing to do. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so was there a point for you Where you weren't able to do that And then you realized that Okay this is not what I want And oh, you know yeah. you kind of switched up I always Yeah So I was just going to say I always use an example yeah. right Tom Waits to me Has the best career Of any musician who ever lived He can tour whatever he wants It's going to sell out the shows Like you say Yeah He makes all this money Off publishing yep. But outside of music geeks He could walk into any store In the world And no one has a fucking clue Who he is
1: Isn't that a dream That is just amazing What a wonderful life to be able to do that, to have well, to have music in your life in such a way that it's, like, intense musically, that is wonderful. And you don't have to lose that, you know. And then to have people come to the show is a wonderful thing because then you realise, actually, what I'm doing musically it is working and it is helping people feel better. Tick. That's wonderful. And then to be able to go home, hang out with your family and not have some weirdos outside trying to take pictures of you, that's another tick. That's, isn't that the dream? But I think... Um, unfortunately it's become a weird dream for kids kids today (laughs) now it makes me sound really old um they just want to be famous and they don't know why and it's actually the worst thing you could possibly want because it's the most uncomfortable horrible life-ruining thing it's not it's not nice but for some reason that's what that's what they want because i suppose it's shiny
0: or something Yep, well, we got the wrap-up two questions, so we'll make these last two. One, coming back to the tour with Corinne, because I did discuss this with her. Yeah. One song that you guys would want to sing together. One oh. song, like, you know, and actually it doesn't have to be either one of your songs. I mean, it could be one of your songs, or it could be just that one sort of anthem that the two of you would kill uh, together.
1: I had no idea. I haven't thought about that. We were going to write a fresh one, but um, yeah, we would love to sing... A song that people know. I mean, I have a song on my record called You're My Girl that I'd like to sing with her. That's kind of perfect perfect for two girls to sing. It's really, it is about friendship. Um, And I wrote it about a friend of mine called Celine who came on the road with me to some mad countries and she was always there no matter what. So I started writing about her, but I was pregnant whilst I was writing it and I was thinking, am I having a girl? And then I did. And now it's really my song for Violet. And it's really fair. You know, we need our girls. So I hope I get to sing that with um, with Corinne. I think it's perfect. And it's, it's that kind of feel as well. It's where her voice sits nice. It's perfect for that.
0: All right. And then we'll make this last question. Before, well, okay. This is a two-part question. First one, is there a name for the album that's coming out in 2022?
1: Yes, we have named it after the single, the um, Never Forget My Love, because that kind of encompasses everything that I'm trying to
0: do, really. Okay, so when you go back and listen to "Never Forget My Love" as a complete work, the whole album, yeah. what do you take from it?
1: I feel really lucky when I listen to it because of the way that it's um, the way that it's put together. Um, it feels very classy, and I haven't had—I've never done that before, and it's—it was a little bit of a dream for me to do it for about like three years. Um, once I had the idea, I was like, I wonder if I could make a record like that. That's like really beautifully made and not jammy or anything. It's just really classy and um, almost sophisticated in some in some twists and turns. You might get a little bit of that. And that makes me feel quite proud and, um, and quite lucky to be able to have the opportunity to do it, really.
0: Well, I know Kelly said we had to wrap up, but that's interesting. And we'll make this last question, but do you see yourself doing it in like in a place like Disney Hall, for example, in LA or doing it? In, like also as you're talking about it, I would love to see the album done start to finish in like an elegant nightclub or yeah. someplace like that.
1: Yeah. Oh, I would love, I'd love that. That'd be really special. Definitely.
0: Yeah. So I where wanted, would be the dream place to do it?
1: Oh, the dream place to do it <sighs> would be the Royal Albert Hall. But I've never played, I've played there many times, but not my own show. So I would, I'd never be able to fill it. That's the problem. <laughs> but maybe one day, maybe one day, it's like, I think it's like three, I think it might be 3,000. Like in certain markets, I can fill that. But I don't know, in London, it's first of all, it's terrifying to do that because they are scary. The press in London are, Ooh, they are not that nice always. So if you fuck it up, <laughs> be sure that they, they are not going to let you get away with that. So, um, but the Royal Lab is always a very beautiful, beautiful place to sing in. So, when, whenever I get the chance to sing there, I love it. But I think this record would be perfect
0: there. Cool. What do you want to add we did not talk about?
1: That's it. I don't know. I think you're a wonderful interviewer and I love talking to you. And I love it. Well, it's your- always
0: my pleasure. It's so funny. I'm looking to see from? now when the last time that we spoke was, and I cannot fucking find it. But, you know, oh well. Right. <laughs> where are you from long beach california long beach
1: okay yeah i mean i'm hearing your accent is really similar to an actor's um and he was in 21 jump street um uh, the really funny one um i don't know the names of the actors in that in that movie but your your accent if i just shut my eyes i'd say you were not him that you were his brother
0: Interesting. Now I can't think of which actor. I get compared to Richard Dreyfuss a lot, but I don't think he was in 21 Jump Street.
1: No, no. He's really funny. He's like a comedic actor, really hilarious. Jonah. (gasps) Jonah. Jonah Hill. Yes. Yep.
0: We both smoke a lot of weed. Maybe that's it.
1: I think that might be it. Yes. (laughs) To my English ears, it sounds like you're like friends. Like you know each other. You're from the same place. Maybe you went to the same school kind of. Like that's what I'm hearing.
0: Well, I think we're we're one bit apart from having smoked weed with similar people, but I've never met Jonah.
1: Really? Well, maybe he's next interview. I know he's not a musician, but he's still funny.
0: <laughs> he is. Well, I've done a lot of film people as well. So, you know, I used to do that as well. But God, this is going to drive me nuts. Unfortunately, the magazine we did the cover story for Venice doesn't really exist anymore online. So oh, I can't find a date man. for it, you know?
1: Oh, man. Well, it's lovely to see you again then
0: yes you too and uh, we'll see you that's the one bummer too by the way uh, um, oh I was just gonna say I just got a note from Kelly we gotta go but I was just gonna say talking to Corinne you guys don't have an LA date yet no we
1: don't we don't I hope I hope we're gonna put one in there that would be really good yeah we're trying to do it now it's just a, because of my bus I want to do it all on the bus and Violet wins so that's why
0: <laughs> fair enough okay cool I know you gotta go thank you so much cheers man bye bye Hey, this is Steve Balton. You have been listening to My Turning Point with special guest, Joss Dunn. If you look around, there are so many ways to make a difference. At Capella University, our FlexPath format gives you a different way to earn your degree. Take courses at your speed. Move on whenever you're ready. Education should fit your life. Learn more at capella.edu.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.